Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by the American Raptors. I'm Henry Chisholm, and uh, today we're finally getting back to these interviews from Wednesday when we heard from all the new assistant coaches, plus Carl Durrell, plus Chris Wilson. Now, uh, for those of you who tuned in last week, we talked about what Carl Durrell and Mike Sanford had to say, the new offensive coordinator. And uh, because there was so much to talk about, we only got through those two even though there were, what, I think six others? And uh, here's here's what we're doing now. Today we're going to talk about the offensive assistant coaches. Uh, so we heard from uh, the offensive line coach, Kyle Devan, heard from the tight end coach, and also passing game coordinator, Clay Patterson. Also heard from wide receivers coach, Phil McGagan. All of them are brand new to this staff, and I cut up some of the best things that they had to say, at least in my opinion, and we're going to run through some of those with some of my thoughts as well. Uh, tomorrow, we are going to get through the defensive coaches. Chris Wilson, uh, the defensive coordinator, and now outside linebackers coach, the cornerbacks coach, Rod Chance, and then, of course, the defensive line coach, Vic Sooto. Um, I would recommend that if you haven't listened to the, uh, the 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 first one of these from Carl Durrell and Mike Sanford that you go back and do that first just because I think that there's some good context there. Um, I, it's not like super important, but there might be a couple things you pick up on after hearing from them. Um, and that was, I believe, Wednesday last week. Wednesday, maybe Thursday. I think that was Wednesday last week. So, uh, again, I'd, I'd tune into that first, but you do you. Um yeah, so there's there's kind of the plan. I think I have uh, 13 clips is what I was able to cut it down to. It's more than I wanted, but Buffs have some fun coaches, so let's dig in. Uh, we're going to start with Kyle Devan here. Uh, so Kyle Devan, for those of you who don't know, first of all, he's Colorado's offensive line coach, which I think is probably notable. Um, he comes to Colorado from Michigan, where he was the uh, the or an offensive analyst there last season, he's been the offensive line coach at Arizona, Ball State, uh, assistant offensive line coach with the Saints, and that 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 Saints job was his first job back in 2015. Played in the NFL from 2008 to 2012. Um, I'll, I'll I'll let you uh, hear a little bit more about his journey from Kyle Devan himself. Uh, for what's worth, I guess we might as well throw in that he's 36 years old, younger coach. We've heard Matt McChesney on this podcast say that he really, really, really likes him. And uh, here's here's just kind of an introduction. 
So I always thought when I got into coaching, it'd be just easy, just kind of smooth sailing, right? And then you hit ups and downs, you hit, you, you, you get fired at some point. And so my perspective early on, especially my professional playing career, I mean, heck, I, I was on two different teams in my first three months of being a professional football player. I, I didn't have the easy way. Went undrafted, uh, was on practice squad, then was ready to call it quits and be a substitute teacher. Um, and, and so, you know, I dealt with a ton of adversity. And then I went and played uh, Arena 2 football at, in Boise, Idaho, with the Boise Burn. And, and it really, what, what it showed me is, is my passion for the game. And it showed me that, you know what, I'm going to do anything to be the best that I can be and, and follow my dreams that I've had since I was eight years old. And, and, and for me, thankfully, it worked out, you know. And, and 10 months later, I was starting in the Super Bowl. I started in, in Arena 2. Ten months later, I'm starting the Super Bowl against the Saints. So not everybody has the same story that, that I have. Um, but yet, you know, I tell these guys I, I have a Super Bowl ring, you know, from that year. And, and I don't wear it and show it to people, right? I wear it because it reminds me of what I went through and what I had to do to achieve what I wanted. So I kind of always think about that and when I'm coaching, uh, when I want to cut the, when I want to cut corners on, on things because I'm tired or because I want to get out of the office, it reminds me, no, no, I need to do this little extra because it's going to pay off in the end. So those, they are subtle reminders and, and, uh, reminders, you know, I want to be the best that I can be. Kind of crazy to think about going from the arena football second league to the Super Bowl in 10 months. Like not, not even like, like you guys might remember the Colorado crush. Colorado Crush were like the the first league or whatever you call it. They were they were the full on arena football. You can play with that team in the video game if you want. Boise Burn. I think there was actually an arena team up in uh, Billings, which honestly is about as far from where I lived as Boise was. It's like an eight hour drive either way. I guess Boise is more like ten from Northwest Montana. But I'm again. We talk occasionally about how there's just no sports in Montana. We did, we did have a second division arena football, so that should put that in perspective. And then to be starting on offensive line with Peyton Manning at quarterback in a Super Bowl just 10 months later, impressive stuff. Impressive stuff for sure. Um, also in there, I mean, you got to like what you hear about extra work and, and going through that grind. Um, I mean, hopefully you don't have to worry about that with any coach, right? Like that there's going to be taking time off, but Hey, they're out there and, uh, there you go. There's a, there's a little introduction to Kyle Devan. Um, a little bit more on him being a former player here, uh, which, you know, I, I thought was interesting. You know, being a former player is, is provides, um, different insight of, to the game. And, and so the one thing I, I tell all my guys is, is we're going to create a foundation. Okay, we're going to all be taught the same fundamentals and techniques and landmarks and, and things of those nature. But, you know, when, it's, when you start getting to the expertise side of it, when you get into the fourth, fifth year players, the, the, the All-Americans, the All-Conference, right, they need to be taken to the next level. And, and that's something, you know, I experienced personally as a player, but then also being around some of the best offensive linemen to ever play the game, I could bring them different insight. And, and I do think there's a lot of value to that. I really do. I don't think you have to be a former player in the NFL or a former player at all. However, it just does provide with di- provide me with different insight than, than somebody else. Yeah, I think that that's pretty interesting stuff as well. Um, 
I also think that that when you guys hear what Phil McGagan has to say, I, I asked him about the difference between you know, coaching Keenan Allen, which was his last job with the Chargers, to then coming to Boulder where he's coaching I mean, 18, 19-year-olds, all that stuff. It, it, he made a similar point that it's all about building that same foundation regardless of where you're coaching. Um, he didn't bring up what uh, Kyle did here, which I thought was – it makes me think, right, that – once you get to to that level, once you are a good player, how can you take them to, to the next level where they're a great player? And, you know, I kind of think back to uh, Mitch Rodrigue, which, hey, soon we're not going to have to do that much anymore. But when, when you hear former player helps, it's like, well, Mitch played a few years at, at Nichols State, which... You know, does does make him a former player, but obviously that's a little bit different than spending so much time in the NFL and being right next to Jeff Saturday, who's one of the smartest linemen in the history of the NFL, um, when when he's playing guard and Saturday's playing center. I do wonder if that's like you know we're all excited about Frank Phillip last year, and and can Frank Phillip take that leap? And honestly, the same thing about Casey Roddick, and they didn't, and nobody really did. Could that be one of those little things that? It's like, oh, okay, now now you have somebody who who knows how to take players from the level that those guys were at to the next level. Because, again, it's, it's hard to really get a good evaluation of that offensive line because it, it was it struggled across the board. But if you have a couple of those same pieces there, but you just bump up Casey Roddick, Roddick to being an all-Pac-12 guard, you bump up Frank Phillip to being an, an all-Pac-12 tackle, then what does that group look like? I don't know, but it, it probably would be a lot better. Um, you know, this is this next one is also... I think... It, you'll, you'll hear it and we'll talk after, but uh, we'll talk about Mitch Rod- Rodriguez a bit after this one as well. The guys in my room, right, have been through a lot with the two offensive line coaches uh, this past season, and, and so I think trust was a big was a big deal. You know, I was the new guy coming in. There's a good foundation, so you know, I wanted to let those guys know. You know, I'm here to gain their trust, just like they're here, just like they're currently here to gain my trust. So um, I, I had been through, I've seen that, and I I experienced it as a player. So I'm very. Uh, understanding to to the change coach Durrell made during the season right and uh and so i think talking to them all they're they're all eager just to continue their process and and that's something i really appreciate so um point being is is i know they've been through a lot i'm understanding that and and want all those guys to understand that they're going to get a fresh start you know i'm not i'm not coming in you know chandler and coach chandler Durrell and coach Durrell have, have done a great job of kind of giving me a understanding who the guys were individually but I, I want to go out there and experience it first and, and see maybe my coaching style, my um, my teachings, my technique are, are maybe more suitable to some of them that, that might not have got along with the previous um, group. So I, I'm excited for that, and I think those kids are too. Again, I mean, he's not going out and saying, you know, these guys had a really shitty coach, and, and now I'm here to be a good coach. And, and I don't think that that was what you're supposed to take away from it either. But this is... I mean, this isn't a normal offensive line coaching job, right? Like, this isn't your your typical, like, oh, yeah, we had to move on from the last guy because we just we just think we can do better. Or, you know, the last guy left because he he's now coordinating an offense wherever. Or, you know, we, we replaced our head coach, and so it's just kind of this new staff here. 
it, it's a very unique situation to to have an offensive line struggle the way that that offensive line struggled and and have a coach who wasn't well liked and and particularly i mean it's he was he was a fiery guy is one way to say it you know very very loud um maybe a little quick to use profanity those sorts of things and you know it, it it makes this whole thing kind of an interesting situation when you, you when you remove the position coach during the season you replace him with a fairly inexperienced coach who who I think we all agreed did a pretty good job given that he only had a few weeks to to get guys ready for the end of the season but you know to jump in I mean what this group really needs is stability and I think that that's something that somebody like Kyle Devan provides. You know, he's been an offensive line coach before. He's I mean, at the Power 5 level for a couple of seasons, no less, plus a few seasons at Ball State, plus a season where he's working under Sean Payton, plus a season where he's working at Michigan where they have the best offensive line in the country. They win the award for best offensive line in the country. That's somebody who can go in there and just be like, okay, this is what an offensive line coach is supposed to do. At the very least, just go through the the motions of doing what is expected of that position. Now you throw in that he has the experience he has and is very highly regarded, um, is is only 36, and then you say, like, okay, there's some upside here too. This could be a really, really good coach. But, you know, to jump in and, and coach this group up, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's players in that room who are a little bit skeptical. Just, just because of what they've been through, and you know, I've I've heard, you know, he mentioned that that you have to build trust with these guys, and I guess I haven't heard as much about the offensive linemen, but I know that there's players on the team who, you know, a lot of these guys went through the Mel Tucker thing. When Mel Tucker saying, "Hey, we're going to go do this, we're going to go do that," and and look at this progress we're making, and see how hard, and all those different things, and then just bolted, and and there have been position coaches who did the same thing, and and. You know, it, it's it's sometimes hard to remember that you're talking about a lot of like 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds, 19-year-olds, a couple 18-year-olds, and those people just by their nature are not, I don't want to say like they're incapable of dealing with change, but it's, it's easy to have some trust issues when you're told as a 17-year-old, like, okay, come here. I'm going to teach you how to do this. I'm going to teach you how to do that. Look, I got this guy to the NFL. I got that guy to the NFL. And and I see potential in you, and we're going to work toward making you one of those guys. And then you show up, you play a season, and then he's gone. Or, you know, some of them have Chris Kapilovic for, for – I guess he was only there for one season, right? So, so they have him for one season, and then Mitch for a season and a half, and then another guy, and who knows, maybe they were there before uh, Mel even got there and lived through that whole experience. And so building that trust, especially with younger people who have been taught that when they trust a coach, it's like, yeah, he, he leaves anyway. You know, it's like these guys are all just, just saying what they need to say to, to get to the next job or whatever. And... I think that that uh, that's something that might take some time to build. And, and you know what? Kyle Devan said it could take some time as well. And let's actually just jump into that right now. Getting to know them individually, it's it, obviously when you when you coach the amount of players that that I coach, you know, in the offensive line room, you don't get to you don't get to meet you don't get to get to know them, you know, uh, uh, 
as quickly as you want as far as like you know deeply you know I, I want to care for all my players so it's we're still in that process and coach uh Darrell hit on it when I, I signed my contract and we hit the ground running kind of had to finish this class and, and I think I explained to those guys right it's a part of the process just like when they were going through it so you know now that I'm back I've been you know I've had meetings individual meetings with all the players I've had you know I've had a meeting room with them and we really didn't talk about football we talked about life and we talked about goals and I think that's important right I, I don't want to get up there and talk about how I'm going to teach a dry block no I want to get up there and say hey this is this is my family this is who I am tell me about your family tell me about what you're studying in school right I want to invest in time outside this building because when they're in here you know when we get to spring when we get to football school and spring football and fall camp and all those things it is about football but you only get them for three four hours a day right I, I want to know what, what they're doing outside of here I want them to know that I'm invested in them as a person not just a football player we get caught up uh in this profession all we worry about you know you, you judge a player based on his poor second step or his really good punch and pass protection I want these guys to know that I care about them outside inside the football on the football field and then outside outside the building as well so it's it's been it's been good really excited to keep watching them develop so there you go and you know I think that that's if you take one thing away from Kyle Devan you know that was the last clip I pulled I think that we kind of see the strategy right is this offensive line group I mean things need to be really bad for them to to play as badly as they did last year like that's just the the truth of the matter that group really really struggled and I do think that there's talent there and specifically some young talent and, and I mean some older talent too you know there's reason to be excited about Frank Phillip I think Casey Roddick we've heard what Matt McChesney has to say about him keeps comparing him to Larry Allen and, and again it's mostly in terms of his shape like when you just look at him from a profile view his chest is like it's it's massive it's crazy and and that's the kind of thing that you look at and it's like huh you know you see it with Visco when you're just like oh yeah look at the way he's built that's an NFL guy Casey Roddick there's some of that as well where it's just like you just don't see people who are built that strong that stout um and the ceiling is there um but the, the to to unlock all of that you just got to turn that back into a healthy room and you know I don't I don't think you do it by screaming and cursing I think that maybe there's there's a piece of that that's going to come along with any sort of football coaching but it, it's a group that needs some rehab it's a group that really needs some rehab and so you, you build those relationships, you show them that you know what you're talking about, that you're there to help them, that, that you're going to be there, continue to be there, and, and work on football stuff as well, and then kind of just build on, on that. Because, you know, it's not a group that played inspired football last year, and, and hopefully that can change. Because they didn't lose a whole lot. You know, they, they didn't lose a lot of players. It's just that they, they played worse than they did the year before when Jarek Broussard was the best running back, best offensive player in the Pac-12, according to the voters. So I, th I thought that that was insightful stuff. And overall, I was impressed by what Kyle Devan brought to the table. Um, I think that he has a background that's going to make it easy for those guys to, to say, like, okay, this guy does know what he's talking about. Um, you know, just being a former NFL player goes a long way. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I don't want to trash Mitch Rodrigue. And I also think that, like I said earlier, we're, we're getting close, not having to talk about Mitch Rodrigue much anymore, but 
you know, this this transition is one that I think will be a challenge. And I think will be a challenge or would be a challenge for any coach who comes in here and tries to coach this offensive line. You could throw Mike Munchak or whoever in there and there'd be uh, some some work that you need to do, some repairs that you need to make before you can really start saying, okay, here's what we're doing. Here's, here's what we need you to do in this situation, in that situation. Here's how we're going to pick up the blitzers from here or here and here's how we're going to slide and pass protection here's what you look at you know it's it's a group that just frankly was poorly coached for two years and that's going to put you behind the eight ball and and it's a group that I think also realizes that that was the case and a group that didn't necessarily enjoy going to football practice every day or whatever and now now you start to build and again it's Starts with trust, and I think that he made some good points there. And we're definitely reading between the lines quite a bit here, but it all it it, it all makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I think that's going to do it for Kyle Devan. Again, as always, curious what you think. Um, if you want to throw a, a comment down, if you're a subscriber, I haven't plugged this in a while, but uh, you guys should become subscribers because while I'm a little bit late, it's been a really hectic time you know i was filling in for dre and rk on dmvr bets last week my mom's actually coming to town tomorrow um i'm gonna stay with me for a few days gonna go to nuggets game tomorrow night avs on thursday it works well because the basketball team only has that saturday game um but that means that not only am i trying to catch up on my own work after doing that bet show last week i'm also like cleaning the apartment up in a way that you know, there's different levels of clean. There's like the level of clean that I need. Just be like, okay, 7 o'clock, I'm going to sit here and watch some basketball for a couple hours. Like, it can't just be like a wreck, but the standards are kind of low. There's like, oh, girlfriend's coming over. And it's like, oh, she knows I'm a mess. Let's uh, let's make her think I'm just a little bit less of a mess than I am. It's like, clean this up, clean this up. Oh, the dishes aren't done. Ah, we'll, we'll leave the dishes where they are, whatever. Could do some laundry. Ah, we can push that off. Mom coming to town, that's uh, that's the max level of clean. Well, mom coming to town and staying with you for a few days, that's that's the real max level of clean. So, been uh, doing that sort of stuff on top of all of this. But, point is, we're gonna, I'm going to be writing quite a bit in this next couple days and uh, getting some of this stuff back up on the website. Uh, but also, for the comments, if you guys have any thoughts on all this, I'm curious what, what you have to say. I want to get more into the comments again. We, we haven't done that much for quite a while. Um, but, but any questions you have for me, um, any thoughts that you have that you want to share, just throw it in the comment section if you're a member at DMVR. And on top of that, you get all the other perks. You know, If you, you come down to the DMVR bar, anytime you order a beer... You get the 24-ounce beer instead of the 16-ounce beer for the same price because you're a member. And there's stuff like that. You can check it all the deals out at thedmvr.com. Get a free shirt, those sorts of things. Um, saying shirt made me think about all the NIL stuff. I actually, I actually logged into that uh, influencer exchange thing, the, the new marketplace for the first time. Obviously, I'm not the one who typically does these things. Like I'll, I'll have ideas and stuff and be like, hey, I want to do that. Can, but... I just went and checked it out. It's pretty cool. Like you just go through all the profiles um, and and see what everybody's all about. Um, you know, see Tommy Brown's smiling face right there. This mullet. But um, yeah. There's that. Let's also. This seems like a good time for a break. Next up is Clay Patterson, though, passing game coordinator, which I think is going to be 
a fun topic. Uh, but first, as always, Breckenridge Brewery. If you do come down to the DMVR bar, we've got all sorts of Breckenridge beers on tap. Why? Well, first of all, because they're a partner of ours. But more importantly, they're a partner of ours because they make really, really good beers. Like, I wouldn't want to sit here and tell you guys about bad, overpriced, terrible beers every day. Um, you really can't go wrong. Uh, my mom has never been down there. She's, like, excited to see the studio and all that stuff. I'm not sure what kind of beer she won. She, maybe just a seltzer. Maybe it's a seltzer. But I know, for me, it's always a strawberry sky. It's a simple decision. And you should... Uh, you should you should check them out too, especially because one percent of all the profits go to the National Parks Conservation Association. So if you like the parks or just like, you know, a healthy Earth, you know, we can all get behind that. Uh, go and pick some up at the grocery store, the liquor store. Uh, come get a pint or whatever at the. Well, hopefully you're a member, so it's more than a pint. I don't know how much a pint is. I think a pint is 16 ounces, so 24 is more. Points, come down to the DMVR bar, get yourself a pint and a half for the price of a pint because you're a member, and 1% of those proceeds will go to the National Parks Conservation Association. Also, DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, we've been talking about these offers for a few weeks now, basically since the playoffs started, but this is your last week to get in on this if you haven't signed up for DraftKings Sportsbook yet. So, if you bet $5 on either team to win the Super Bowl, you get $280 in free bets if you're right. That's 56 to 1 odds in honor of Super Bowl 56. DraftKings Sportsbook is actually an official sports bank partner of Super Bowl 56, so make sure that you get in on this. And if you're not a new user, you can still have a lot of fun betting on the Super Bowl. They'll have odds boosts, all those different things, but there's also just like the, the fun things that you get to bet on for the Super Bowl. You know, uh, is it going to be heads or tails in the opening coin toss? Um, let's see. What else? I just opened this up. Oh, novelty props. The jersey number of the first touchdown score over under 23 and a half. You know, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of options in here. So you should definitely check all of those out. And, uh, yeah, have some fun with it because there's cool stuff going on here. Um, again, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use the promo code DMVR. Get 56 to 1 odds on either team. All you got to do is bet $5, and you'll get 280 in free bets if your team wins. It's promo code DMVR at DraftKings Sportsbook, official sports bank partner of Super Bowl 56. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Here's another note. Uh, you'll remember... On Friday, that I said that I had just bet on Jordan Spieth to win the uh, Pebble Beach tournament, the Pro Am. Um, at that point, he had plus three thousand odds, plus three thousand odds, which means thirty to one odds. You bet ten dollars, pays out three hundred and ten dollars. You bet twenty dollars, six hundred and twenty. So he was pretty far back at that point. Made a run over the weekend, and yesterday he had a two-shot lead with two or three holes left, wound up blew, blowing that lead and costing me a significant, significant amount of money. But the point is, I wasn't obviously like a huge bet, but it could have paid out huge, and I just about quit my day job. So, uh, actually, that's not true. But um, DraftKings Sportsbook is a lot of fun. Let's get back into this, though, because that took longer than I planned per usual. Um, Clay Patterson. So, Clay Patterson is the 
tight ends coach. He comes over with Mike Sanford from Minnesota, and uh, he's also going to be the passing game coordinator. Kind of interesting, right, that he's the passing game coordinator coming out of the tight end position. Um, maybe not all that interesting, but, you know, receivers coach, quarterbacks coach would be your first guess if you had to guess what position he'd play, um, especially considering that he's coming from Minnesota. And at Minnesota, uh, they run the ball quite a bit. You know, we've, we've talked about that before. We've covered that before. I do think that um, it's interesting that he comes from the uh, the background that he comes from. You know, Minnesota stands out for being under center. Well, maybe not even under center, but, but it's a super heavy scheme. You know, extra linemen, tight ends doing a lot of run blocking, those sorts of things. But before that, he actually was in more more spread offenses. He was the head coach at Northeastern, Oklahoma, A&M, some of those smaller schools. Another young guy, uh, only 39. And I guess let's save some of that scheme stuff for later. Um, but I do think that as a passing game coordinator, first of all, he's going to have a lot of say in what this scheme is. But beyond that, he hinted quite a bit, I think, about what that could look like this season. First, though, we got to get his thoughts on Brady Russell. So here's here's what he had to say about Brady. Very excited about Brady because he's, you know, he basically is a professional at this point, going into a sixth year of eligibility. Um, you know, when we played Colorado earlier this season, like our defensive staff brought up Brady to me. Uh, you know, he has the long hair, and we had a guy that had long hair. They're both physical. Uh, and so I was excited. I watched him then. And, and coming back and watching his film, I, I'm very excited about it. I love, I love kids like him that come from a walk-on situation that – um, has has a chip on his shoulder, you know, and and he's hungry for everything that he gets, and and I'm excited to see him grow, teach him the offense, but really just put him in a good situation, you know. And, and I talked to Brady about you know what his body's been through. He's basically you know should be going into a mini camp right now, uh, and and treating him in that that fashion, and then growing up the young guys. And I took over a room in Minnesota that was all freshmen sophomores, and it's very similar to this room. Uh, it's a really good clay. Great kids, intelligent kids, and, and that part of it, they have the clay that I need to, we need to work with. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited about them, you know, and to see what they can do uh, on the football field uh, as we get out there. A couple of good notes there, right? So uh, Brady kind of treating him like like a pro, and what that means is not asking him to do all that much in practice and, and going through this grind because the most important thing is to keep him healthy. And, you know, I have mixed feelings about that. You know, you, you want to, to grind guys and, and make sure that, that you're getting the most out of them and not treating people. Di- at the same time, though, when you look at this offense, it's lacking experience. It's lacking guys with, with proven production. You need to have Brady. Like, like, if you go into a game without Brady, that's a big blow. You know, I do like the way that this room is built. With Brady, you have a tight end who you trust, who you know is going to be productive. Um, he's going to be top half of the Pac-12 sort of tight end at the very least, and I think there's potentially pops. I think that we might have seen that last year if the quarterback play was just a little bit better. Um, beyond that, though, you have some talented young guys. You know, I think that we've been saying this, honestly, for a year now because we thought maybe last year it was Eric Olson, Caleb Fourier, are they ready to break out? And there's some other guys in that room too, and he mentioned that, and he mentioned that it's like Minnesota. And it's good to hear that that he likes what he saw there. Um Again, you don't 
there there isn't a world where you'd say, you know, we're we're really struggling behind Brady. We I don't know who we're gonna put out there, but I do think that it is good for him to go out of his way and a question about Brady to say, yeah, there's a lot of young guys in there we're excited about. They seem smart. It's like, okay, let's see what they can do. Because next year you're not gonna have Brady. And one of these guys needs to be ready to be productive. And ideally you get two of them. And who knows? There's the portal, there's all those sorts of things. But it's really nice when you can put two tight ends out there and know that both of them can block and both of, both of them can make plays in the passing game too. So we'll see. We'll see what that looks like. Uh, here's here's a little bit of what he has to say about the passing game as the passing game coordinator. We want to put our guys in a situation to be successful, you know, and to be efficient. And, uh, and it's, it's not so much what we're going to do, it's just how we're going to do it. Uh, and I think that's the most important part is protecting our quarterback, especially young quarterbacks, and, and putting them in a good situation to get the ball to playmakers in space. Uh, and, you know, I'm a big firm believer that, you know, great players make great coaches, but at the end of the day, you have to put your players in a situation to be successful no matter their skill level. Uh, and it starts with that for us and, and putting them in a situation to be successful, let them have fun playing the game of football. Because last time I checked, throwing a forward pass was, was, was fun, you know, and, and we need to get back to that. And, uh, and I'm excited for the challenge to build this thing with uh, Coach McGagan and, and Coach Sanford and, uh, and put our guys in a good situation. Um, I mean... <laughs> I, I like that the first thing he brought up was protection uh, because I, I, I think that that was when you when you look at all of the factors last year and why Colorado was near the bottom of the country in terms of passing, I think protection is the the number one problem. Um, and again, there's there's competition for, for the number one problem, but to me that's what it is, especially with a young quarterback like Brennan Lewis out there. When he's scared, and, and he was scared a lot, especially the beginning of last season, um, bad things are going to happen. You know, you're just not going to be able to to be productive or be pro- efficient or, or anything. And, you know, he gets hit a couple times early, and all of a sudden he's shaken because that's what young quarterbacks do. Um, the protection was really bad. It doomed everything from the start. Um, but before receivers could even get into their routes, before we could see if, if the route combinations and the patterns that uh, Darren Cheverini called would be effective, the, a lot of the plays broke down. Now, the ones that didn't break down, turns out most of the time they were not effective. And if they were effective, Brendan didn't always hit the receivers. But again, the, the, the big takeaway for me is that he's focused on the protection. I really like that. And... Um, he also noted, you know, you got to get playmakers in space. And I don't think that that's a huge surprise, but that is more of that West Coast type of football, right? Where you get your receivers open, you you, you get the quarterback to get the ball in their hands, and you let them go make a play. Um, I, I actually made some tweaks to my Madden team in the DMVR Madden League, and I know you guys love hearing about that. Um, but I, I played... The the bear no it wasn't the bears it was the bills in the last game and what makes that tough is the guy who runs the bills is from Sweden so it's a road game so we host it on his internet which means that there's some crazy lag between what's happening here and what's happening on his Xbox in Sweden and because of that I couldn't run the ball you know you just couldn't time things up and hit the hole at the right time and read where the blockers were going because there's just a little half second of delay between what you do and where you go. I think I had like seven carries for seven yards with Leonard Fournette. Um, Point is, I had to throw the ball a lot, and 
even with Lamar Jackson, I couldn't really try to get out of the pocket. So I had to change things up, get some uh, – I actually threw in the – what was that? That would have been the Raiders offense, West Coast offense, a lot of underneath stuff, um, and just said, okay, you got to pick them apart from the – it didn't work. It didn't work through six interceptions. Um, but, you know, again, I do like that that's kind of the focus here. And it, it does – it makes sense, right? Carl Durrell, obviously, coming from that West Coast coaching tree – um, and he didn't say West Coast himself here, but get playmakers in space, that sort of stuff. Like that's that's where a lot of that comes from. And let's see, which one do we hit next? Well, we'll get back to this West Coast stuff in a second, real quick. Here's uh here's what he has to say about coming over with Mike Sanford and how this this relationship kind of works with Sanford being the offensive coordinator, Patterson being the passing game coordinator. First of all. Coach Sanford's 40th birthday is on Friday, so happy birthday, Coach Sanford. You know, uh, but I'm, I'm excited to be with him. Um, obviously, that was a huge draw for me coming to Colorado. Uh, it was our relationship. Uh, we have a great relationship on and off the field, uh, and you know, he's taught me a lot. You know, he has a ton of experience that I haven't been able to have in my career, and, and I'm excited to build something with him. Uh, we have we have light beliefs in what we believe in, and, and I'm extremely extremely excited, uh, you know, to to continue this journey with him. You know, and, and his football background is similar to mine, but different. Uh, but it's he's taught me a lot, man. That guy, you know, he's an underneath center, Boise State, Stanford guy. You know, I've been a spread guy my whole life. So combining that uh, is going to be really, really fun. Again, I think that it's easy to just look at a coach's background and say, like, here's what he is going to do here. Um, but especially with young coaches, there's a lot that changes. And, you know, could this be an offense that's 95% under center? Yep. Could it be one that's 95% out of the shotgun? Yep. Both those things would kind of surprise me, though. I think that they're probably 60% shotgun, 40% under center. And that's a total stab in the dark here. Um, again, what this looks like, what these two schools of thought leads to, I'm excited to see. And again, I think that there are a lot of similarities in the concepts in terms of, you know, get guys into space. Um, you know, with Sanford, obviously, coming from Boise State, coming from Stanford, they those are some West Coast, more pro-style sorts of offenses. Um, now, those can sometimes be a little bit more intensive on quarterbacks, and we'll see how that plays out. Might honestly play into J.T. Shroud's hands a, a little bit more, considering that he's the veteran guy there. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, one more clip from Clay Patterson, and this is this is honestly my favorite one. This is when he's asked about you know modern tight ends and George Kittle and that sort of stuff. We did a lot of study in the 49ers uh, with some of their outside zone stuff. So I I use Kittle a lot uh, about how physical he is because he's super athletic, and all you see on Sports Center is those guys catching balls. But you know they're they're very physical guys, uh, and they play the game the right way all the time. They don't just wait till the ball's coming their way. And that we use that a ton, to be honest with you, uh, because I love watching him play, um, you know, and watching how Kittle blocks and the things he does and, and his athleticism is unbelievable. But, you know, using those things to show them, hey, and then you'll see those guys pass protect. Well, they don't, they don't literally don't show that on Sports Center where a guy like him, they're the best players at their position, but they have to pass protect. And we use that to show our guys, hey, man, this, you, know, you got to be able to do it all if you want to be the best. Another little hint there. The outside zone, again, like a staple of the West Coast offense. You know, a lot of that is 
you know, run the ball at the outside zone, outside zone, outside zone, hit them with a bootleg back the other way when they overcommit one direction. And again, like that, that was the 90s Broncos that kind of revolutionized all that. And I, did one of these coaches even bring that up? I almost think, no, that, that wasn't it. You know what it was? That was uh, uh, Nathaniel Hackett, the new head coach of the Broncos, who, who's brought that up a couple times that, you know, he's a West Coast guy and he's run the West Coast everywhere. He's excited to get back to Denver because that's where this West Coast offense, not where it came from. Obviously, it came from San Francisco and Bill Walsh back in the day, but eventually got to the Broncos and, and they really changed it and, and modernized it back in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Now, it's also kind of gone through a rejuvenation these past few years. They throw in a bunch of those jet sweeps, some more of those gadget plays. And that's been like Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay that are doing that now. But but it was it's kind of gone through that tree where Bill Walsh was one of the big innovators. I mean, was the creator. And then Mike Shanahan with the Broncos kind of revolutionizes it, brings it up to speed, and turns it into what what everybody wants to do. And then now in these last few years, you see these younger guys uh, putting their own stamp on it. And we'll we'll see a decade from now who who we look back on and say like, wow, look, that's who did it. That's that's how it went from point B to point C here. Um, but the point is like the outside zone stuff with Kittle, obviously showing the 49ers stuff. They, I mean, we just talked about Kyle Shanahan and Bill Walsh. I mean, that's a lot of what they do there. Um, so, yeah, I do think, and I guess it's also worth noting Nathaniel Hackett, new Broncos head coach. You know, he's he's brought up that what he wants to do is it, it all starts with the outside zone, but then it turns into the deep shots off of it when you get them biting up. Um, I again, there's. There's a lot of different ways to run the West Coast offense. And I think that even for a minute there, people might have thought it was a little bit stale. You know, people people could have seen that and been like, ah, you know, that's that's kind of the past. But now it's this resurgence again. And obviously Carl Durrell comes from that background. Um, a lot of this coaching staff does. And, of course, Phil McGagan actually played for those Broncos back in the early 2000s, played for Durrell, um, played for Mike Shanahan, and I guess we might as well get into that right now. Um, Phil McGagan, these, these clips are a little bit longer. Um, what, what is this? Like three of the four longest clips of the day come from Phil McGagan. We've actually got five of him, four from the other guys. So we'll spend just a little bit more time here and maybe even just let him speak for himself. Um, before we get into that, I, I do think it's probably worth talking about a couple of the things that he said um, when or the, from from parts where I didn't pull the clip. Uh, here's here's a couple other notes. So he was the receivers coach for the Chargers for two seasons, but didn't coach anywhere last season. Now, he didn't coach anywhere because he wanted to spend some time with his family. He has a young son. He, he mentioned like he, he didn't know his dad growing up. It's very important to him to be a part of his son's life. But in that 2020 season, when he was the Chargers coach. Well, that was during the pandemic when everything was locked down. So this is, the coaches were stuck in the bubble. Um, he wasn't able to see his family because he was obviously coaching in California with the Chargers. His family lived in Florida, and he was just kind of isolated from them for a very long time. This time around, he's like, well, I'm not going through that again, and so I'm going to to just take a season off and and then get back to it a year later and where he got back to is Colorado. And again, 
when you're looking through how coaches can get to Colorado, I think that that's probably one of the best routes, right? Like, you just decide to take a year off, and because of that, it kind of puts you a step down the pecking order maybe um, after being seen as an up-and-coming coach. You know, you're working with Keenan Allen. You know, Mike Mike Williams has really taken off in the last couple of years. So there we go. There's, there's some of that. Uh, he also mentioned that over the summer he actually spent a couple weeks at LSU, um, some some time at Bama, uh, Louisiana Tech, Louisville, um, which, again, I thought was interesting. He said that those were valuable experiences. Um, Let's just start with uh, some of his background. Like I, like I mentioned, um, he, was, uh, he was a Bronco back in the day, back when Carl Durrell was the receivers coach there. Again, this is kind of... I guess a little bit after. This is after the Super Bowls, but still when the Broncos are at the forefront of this West Coast offense. You know, everyone has their own unique journey and their unique path. So I feel that your experiences really do mold who you are as a person and as a coach. So obviously, you know, being a player at Maine, having a chance to bounce around the NFL for four years, and playing for Coach Durrell was, was a real pleasure, a real blessing for me um, to get a chance to, to see how he cared for his players, how his individualized approach the development of each individual player. Um, there's a lot of things that he did from a family standpoint um, that he sacrificed. What we watched him, what he did uh, for his family while he was our position coach, um, it really impacted a lot of the guys in that room. So I think going forward, you know, after leaving the Broncos in 2002, I was able to uh, model a lot of my philosophical beliefs around Coach Shanahan and that staff. Um, and then positionally, Coach Durrell is a very patient teacher. Um, he's had a lot of integrity and personal character. So when you, you know, we're all human beings, we go through different things in our life. Um, and he was a contemporary as well when I was in the NFL. He was also a position coach, you know, coaching the same position. So having that relationship and that bond, and we really see football very similarly. So I think having that relationship and that bond um, has helped me along my journey, you know, going from Maine to Navy to USF to the Dolphins to ECU to the Buffalo Bills to the LA Chargers. And then last year sitting out when we did have some options, but it was the most appropriate thing to do for our family um, was to sit out 2021 and then be uh, all in on 2022 and really do that in, in an environment that there's a lot of trust and uh, a holistic development approach to the players and coaches. Um, and, and that was some that's very uh, exciting for our family you like it right i definitely like it um some some notes you know we brought up the individual approach that carl has you know looking at every player and saying what what do you need to do to get to the next level and this is we're going to get into some of the recruiting stuff in in a couple minutes but this comes up again there where it's like okay what do you do and what do you need to be able to do you know, do we need to teach you to, to be able to get open underneath better? Do we need to, to teach you how to get open deep better? You know, th those sorts of things where maybe you're just a slot receiver and what's best is kind of to ignore some of those other things and just get really, really good down there. So I do like the idea of, you know, every coach is going to coach players individually, that sort of stuff. But, I mean, you also think back to, I don't know, what's... Mitch Rodriguez, for example, where could you see him kind of just saying, like, here's what we do. We need you to do this and this. And everybody goes through the drills instead of maybe taking that more nuanced approach. I mean, you could see it. You could see it, right? 
Um, and again, we're we're really bashing on him today, and you feel bad. But the the results are the results, and again, it's a business, and that's just how this works. Uh, so you, so you like that stuff. Um, like that he's stayed in touch with Carl Durrell. Um, again, because he he was an up and comer, and kind of like up and came right. Like if if he's a career wide receivers coach and he's, he's already bouncing around the NFL. He's established as an NFL receivers coach at this point. Um, and, and still young, what 42, maybe let me, let me look this up, make sure we get this right. Um, but you know how, how they approach football that lines up. Um, and, uh, I, I personally liked a, a lot of what I heard there. Here's actually, here's a little bit more on Carl Durrell and he is 42, by the way. So, shout out to me for calling that one because it's my job. Uh, here's more. I believe the, the, the first thing that's very important in this profession is trust and loyalty. And I trust Coach, and he trusts me. I'm loyal to him, and he's loyal to me, and that's always been that way uh, for 20 years. So if there's an issue that comes up to in my social life or with my children or things like that, I'm not the only person that that. You know, coach gets a call from there's a lot of guys in that room that you know um that call him for guidance because of his even demeanor and his his calming presence and there's no situation in life that's too big you know we just have to systematically talk about what we can control and controlling those variables and then kind of assessing the next steps and then being proactive as opposed to being reactive so um for me at this stage of my career trust loyalty um you know caring about players not just as you know statistical leaders which you know in all of our past and i'll speak directly for myself i found a lot of guys catch a lot of passes but i think the guys that you would reach out to that have been successful that that you guys all know would say i've cared more about them as people than i did about those big numbers that they put up um but we are proud of those numbers but there's also more that goes in behind the scenes and that's really what I'm looking forward to bringing to this program. So there you go. You know, does that last part remind you of anything? Because it reminds me a lot of what Kyle Devan had to say early on, saying, like, we got to build these relationships. Got to make sure that um, they, I mean, that, that they trust you and that they think that you're doing what's in their best interest to, to maximize everything. Also, I'd, I really like that other st- part, um, the, the first half, talking about controlling controllables, um, but getting deeper than that, I think everybody says control the controllables, but to say like, God, here's how you do it. Things happen. Nothing's too big. Um, a lot of it, I mean, it's like classic stoicism stuff. Um, you know, like Marcus Aurelius, the obstacle in the way becomes the way, um, just evaluating what the problem is and going and fixing the problem and, and making things better instead of like worrying about it, or trying to go around it, complaining. And again, it sounds simple, but it does seem like he really does align with Carl Durrell there. Now, does that sometimes, in Carl's case, mean that he's not freaking out on the sideline and screaming and doing those sorts of things because he's saying, well, can't control that. How do, how do we go about getting into a better situation? How do, we, how do we build from here? Those sorts of things. I get that there's some pushback, and I get that the, the whole stoic thing isn't universally loved, but I do know that there's a, a book on stoicism. I can't remember what it's called. I'm I, I'm not sure if I've talked about this here, um, but there's this book. Um, let's see, the obstacle in the way. There we go. The obstacle in the way becomes the way. It's another. Uh, I think I've just mentioned that. But um, 
again, Ryan Holiday came out like 10 years ago and just took over the NFL. Everybody in the NFL read it. And I can't remember, like Pete Carroll might have been passing it around. But based on what we've heard from these guys, it would make a lot of sense if they've read this book. And it's all about applying those principles into life and business and all those sorts of things. And so I, I read all that and was like, well, I should probably read this book if all the coaches in the NFL have read this book. And again, it, it's very, very similar to, to what Phil McGagan has to say there. Um, just not being overwhelmed and knowing how not to be overwhelmed and how to think about things. And again, I, I really do think that not only is this a staff that values the, the, the student athletes and, and trying to help them, but is also just straight up very smart. You know, say what you want about Carl Durrell. That is a very, very smart man. Um, and I, I think I think the same of Phil McGagan. I think the same of, of, of a bunch of these other coaches that we've heard from. And, you know, I, I think that that's, uh, that's been a trend of the staffs that Carl has built when he's had an opportunity. You know, I think that you look at the, the coaches he had at UCLA and say, like, these are, these are the kinds of guys that he was able to go win with. Um, and it's good to see him be able to to put his staff into place uh, with with the guys in, in important positions that, that he wants in those positions. Um, so there you go. I think that, again, Phil McGagan, very insightful, I think, and, and hopefully you got some insight into his insight with that stuff. Um, let's jump into recruiting, though. This is... We've got we got a little deep there. Let's jump into some recruiting. Here's here's some stuff from Phil there. You know, recruiting is kind of an interesting word for me. You know, it's like I think it's more about identifying and then connecting. You know, that's kind of the definition for me of recruiting. So you look at Tabe, obviously the initial evaluation. Can he run? Can he catch? Does he got courage in traffic? Is he good with uh, the ball under his arms? Can he come out of the all the physical intangibles? You know, uh, that you look at uh, as well as just like the metrics as far as the forty time and the vertical jump. There's more to it than just that. There's learning what motivates this person. What time do they love football? Are they eager to learn or are they just doing it because they're very good at it and it's an opportunity for them to play college football and they enjoy, um, you know, all of the th- trimmings that go with being a collegiate student athlete at this level. So I think you have to identify and then you realize to investigate. And then I'm not a really uh, a person who's going to uh, bend the truth. Um, I, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat things. I'm going to be very direct with you about what you need to do to improve. These are the things I see you do really well. These are things that I can help you. This is a player I feel you're similar with. I'd like to connect you to. Um, and then you guys can start talking about some of the different things that, hey, coach is going to do this with you. It's going to be difficult about these particular details that are very important to him. So I think it's just about uh, trying to make sure that it's a, it's a match you know, from a personality standpoint, from a from a development standpoint, and uh, do they fit what we're trying to get done here, you know, long-term vision-wise? Are they similar to the guys on our roster? Do they add another dimension? Um, you know, getting with Coach Sanford uh, and just saying, okay, what are we going to do schematically? And then, you know, what do we need to improve on? So I feel like all those things in recruiting are, are very important. They're very critical to making uh, sound decisions, not just for us making decisions on players, but decisions on players making decisions on their coaches who's going to coach them and is that a style that they are going to respond to or, you know um 
this isn't going to be a country club. You know, we're going to work. And uh, I want guys who want to work and want to improve and have a burning desire to, to be great and compete, go to class, get a degree, be good young men. You know, we're going to learn a lot of life lessons there, not just about the route depth on a comeback. So it's a, there's a holistic development process. And I want guys who want to be better men. You know, I want to be better sons, eventually husbands and fathers. Um, and those are the things that we're trying to get done in the wide receiver. Again, uh, some good stuff there, I think. Um, important. I'm not sure if you caught this, but there's that little line in the middle where he says, "I, I, I want to." It's part of the process, kind of like get those guys and connect them with other players I've coached, and and see if this could be a fit. That's interesting, right? So first of all, I, I like the tactic, just in, in face value, where you say, "Hey, you know, here's what I can say about my coaching style." Here's what somebody else can say about my coaching style. So so that maybe if you it, it's just good to get another perspective and have somebody else kind of explain it and what their experience was and that sort of stuff. And for that reason, I think good recruiting tactic, right? Now on top of that, imagine if Phil is connecting you with Keenan Allen. And so, and so for example, you have this guy who's a top 5 recruit in the country and you say Here's here's what I want to do. Here's what uh, here's who I've coached. Here's how I want to get you to the next level. Here's how we're going to approach things. Look at any other college coach in the country and say who have they who have they worked with. You know maybe maybe you look at Brian Hartline at Ohio State and say okay that's a really good receivers coach. He just, he's going to put two Ohio State receivers in the first round this season. He's done quite a few good things. And and even with him, then you say well guess what I I actually coached him when he was in the NFL. So there you go. And you almost wonder if Brian Hartline might be saying to some of the guys, or it's like, ah, we just, we know that you're really good. We just don't have room for you. Go check out Phil McGagan. So that could help too. So, so you have that guy. But for the most part, Phil can just say, I'm a, I've done more than any receivers coach, just about any receivers coach coaching college football in the country. Now, let me let me give you Keenan Allen's phone number. Just hang out with Keenan Allen. Like, like, what does Keenan Allen have to say? And if you're a 17-year-old and you're trying to figure out where to go to school, the guy who just connected you with an all-pro receiver, that's going to stick out, right? That's that's going to get you into the process. That's going to get Colorado in the top five or whatever. And, again, he's he's not just going to say, here's Keenan Allen's phone number to every kid he gets in touch with. But the good news is Keenan Allen isn't the only guy. You know, any any NFL receiver, that's notable. Especially if you're coming from somewhere where that's not really what, what happens. You know, I can tell you if he wanted a receiver out of Montana and said, hey, here's, uh, here's Jalen Guyton, the, the number three receiver from the Chargers, and like, let, let him talk, that, that would be enough to get anybody there. Now, obviously, there aren't a lot of top 100 recruits there, but the point is he's got a long list of connections. There's a lot of guys who really respect him and feel like he's helped them. And they're guys that a lot of these high schoolers maybe have heard of. And so I really liked hearing that little bit in the middle. Plus, you know, you can use Keenan Allen a couple times. You know, you, you, you can use Jarvis Landry a couple times. You, you can use some of these real big-name guys a couple times if you want. Um, and I don't know. I, th- I think it's uh, – it's, we'll see how it all plays out. You know, I'm not totally up to date. I know that two days ago Phil had offered 13 of 24-7 sports – top 35 receivers in the country now offering and landing them is different but he I think he has a chance right for the reasons that we talked about you know if I can pitch Phil McGagan and I've heard him talk for about 20 minutes imagine how Phil McGagan could pitch Phil McGagan and then imagine 
How could Mike Williams pitch Phil McGagan? How could, uh, was he, I don't think he crossed over with Stephon Diggs. Who were the Bills receivers then? Um, that's a tough one. Um, I guess like Zay Jones was definitely there, like Kelvin Benjamin maybe? I don't know. Obviously things went well though because he wound up going, uh, who who was that? Oh, what is his name? I've I've hit. Maybe we've been doing this too long. Maybe cutting all this up and then talking for an hour fried my brain. Um, but he followed the coach from the Bills to the uh, Chargers. Didn't get fired. I think that that's always notable because it's typically, you know, coaches get fired a lot. But um, yeah. Point is, he has a bunch of connections that he can use, and uh, yeah. Um. Oh, he also another thing that I want to to touch on there. Uh, he mentioned that uh, you know what do they do? How do they change the scheme? Do they add another dimension to the offense? And I think that that sort of like tactical sort of recruiting. I mean, it that's what everybody does. But it's nice to hear somebody emphasize it, right? Like if you're running this West Coast offense, what do you need? Well, there's a bunch of different things you could use. Do you have a guy who can go get deep balls? Do you have a slot receiver who you can just trust to get open? Like, there's so many different skill sets. You know, do, do you want a guy like Debo Samuel from the 49ers where it's like he he totally changes the, the, the shape of this offense? Like, is there a guy like that who you could use in that way? Like, I really do think that, that he, uh, again, is a smart guy, obviously been around the game, around the pro game for, for quite a while. I mean, he was with the Broncos 20 years ago. And... Um, I'm excited. I'm excited. Uh, we've also got two more clips. Um, let's hit. Let's hit this one next. We'll save the good one, the one that kind of blew up on Twitter for a little bit later. Uh, but but here's uh. So so I actually asked him. You know, is it tough to go from Keenan Allen to to these 18 or 19 year olds? I don't look at it really that much differently. I mean, we have to learn how to get into a stance. We got to learn how to come off the ball. All the fundamentals. Uh, have to be taught and they have to be taught well so um, you know to be honest maybe Keenan's like the, the top end and maybe Mike Williams those are the guys that you know we may be working on 400 level classes but everybody else in that room you know is is developmental guys so you know Keenan requires less attention than the day I got there than he does now Mike requires a little bit less attention but um, you know at this particular point these all everybody else in that room they need a coach. You know, they need to be coached. They need to be developed. So I don't look at it like, oh, this is college and we are going to do something different. Like the position is the position. The skills that, uh, you know, I think the best example would be like a Zay Jones, you know, at ECU when I left the Dolphins and was able to work with him just for the one year. You know, he was a good football player, um, you know, before I got there. So it wasn't like he wasn't a good player. But I think, you know, went from 90 catches to 158 and set the NCAA record in 12 games. Um, I think that's a good example of, of, this is what we do. This is what we did with Jarvis Landry in 15, and this is what we're going to do with Yuse in 16. And that's how it works from a fundamental standpoint, scheme, just the different things. Football is football, and what's good football is good football at, at every level. Um, you know, are you are you fitting, uh, you know, the pass schemes that are going to be appropriate versus the coverages? All those things are very similar. Um, just giving people sound plans to be successful so I don't really look at it much differently than than I do the job that I had previous like I'm going to do the job the way we do the job I thought that was kind of interesting as well obviously I cut the clip and put it in my podcast um 
Yeah, I mean, you've coached the fundamentals, but also a lot of it is just putting guys in positions where it works. So I don't know. And again, with all this stuff, it's like you can... Honestly, this is kind of my experience talking to these guys where it's like you, you talk to them in the offseason, you talk to them in camp, whatever. It's like, so what do you think of your new coach? And it's like, yeah, he he's good. Definitely different. He's good. But even the players don't really know how much better they're getting until you see the results, until you get on the field and it's like, oh, this really works. Um, and so, again, all this stuff really sounds good and we actually saved the part that sounds the best. Um, but does it translate to success in the passing game? We just have to wait and see. Uh, let's let's close things out with uh, one more clip on recruiting, and this is, again, the one that people got really excited about, and for good reason. And I, I feel like, okay, why see you? You know, well, I think the reality of it, it all comes down to what have you done to, for other players, and wh- who have you worked with, and how can you develop people? We're not going to back down anybody in recruiting at the receiver position. I can tell you that right now. So if you're a top talented wide receiver and you're in 2023, I'm going to be on, on you to come here. That's just the reality of what it is. Um, I feel very confident with my ability to develop the wide receivers. Uh, we have Coach Durrell, who also has you know a great track record of doing that. But the reality is, how do I expect a player to go take that field, Folsom, uh, to with supreme confidence if their position coach doesn't have confidence that he that he's going to do a great job and do just a good job if not better than most coaches in the country developing wide receivers that's how i feel you know that's because the players that god gave me to coach over the last decade have been really good players and we've all bought into the vision they've done the little things they've blocked they've gotten the route depths they play without the football they're tough they're physical they're available they take care of their bodies uh, so I just feel very, very confident of the development process, not just as football players, but I have a lot of former players that are very, very close to that are excellent coaches. Um, uh, Brian Hartline is one that I feel very strongly about. Um, we were together for three years and just philosophically how we go about our business. Uh, and there's several other players uh, that I've that I've coached that give me a tremendous amount of confidence because they were very responsive to a demanding style of coaching and just we hold them to a high standard and the accountability factor is high the development factor is high but the reality is is that these young men when they go to the combine they have a chance to be evaluated by the 32 other uh, receiver coaches that are in the league currently they're going to be impressed with not only their physical attributes and with what coach Turley's doing down there but also their mental preparation their coverage recognition their ability to understand schematics conceptual route running uh, the spacing that's required with these routes to open up and pry open zone coverages the ability to separate and get off the line of scrimmage uh, and man-to-man coverage and press uh, so um, i've only done this job you know i've been a player and i've been a coach you know at, at just receivers so you know this is what i love um, uh, you know, I've never coached quarterbacks and bounced around and done this. Like, this is what I do, and this is what we do. And this is and I have a great deal of respect for the receiver position. I love the game of football. Um, it's given me everything. It's given my family things that we never would have imagined. Uh, it's, it's created a situation um, that wasn't always great for me as a youngster to a position where I feel like I can make a real difference in other people's lives. So... 
Um, I respect that's this whole process, uh, and those are the things that I feel that we can add value as a staff and add value as a university. I love the city of Boulder. I used to come here as a former player with the Broncos in my off days just to escape. I'd come and stand on the sidelines of games and just watch because I really love the environment. Uh, Denver's always been uh, my favorite place I ever played, and I've been with seven different NFL teams. Uh, Denver, by far, from an organizational standpoint and what Coach Shanahan did uh, culturally was my favorite. So for me, all these things that I can talk about, you know, I can be a direct extension of what Coach Durrell's vision, his character, his integrity. I know what he wants. So I feel like when I get on the phone with these top prospects across the country for 2023, I know exactly what I'm talking about as it relates to this program, how they fit in this program, and what we can do to help them maximize their God-given ability. Pretty good stuff. Uh while that was going, while I was like double checking, the power went off my apartment. So um, pray for me. I guess I guess if you hear this this podcast, well, that means that everything worked out. I was able to upload it, and uh, hopefully, hopefully you guys hear this. Well, um, yeah, uh, obviously good stuff. Go toe to toe with anybody. Yeah, and I think that they have good reason, especially because and we talked about this when Brendan Rice transferred. You can it's I don't want to say it's not hard to go to the NFL as a receiver it is and it's potentially harder than any other position just because there's so many of them you know you look at the draft this year and last year and honestly the year before that like we're at this point where it feels like there's 20 guys 15 guys every year it's like yeah that that could be a first round draft pick and so everybody gets pushed out you know there's every single school in the country has a receiver that they say wow this guy should get drafted and doesn't you know, even the schools that have guys get drafted, there's another one who's like, oh, yeah, he probably should be. Now, and I guess Colorado doesn't this year, but that's a that's another problem. But you, you remember, like, Tony Brown. You remember, like, Bryce Bobo. There there have been plenty who come from Colorado, and that's just the way that it works for receivers. But at the same time, you know, if you're, you don't need a great team. To, to make it as a receiver. You know, you look at what Visca did. And honestly, it kind of helped him not being on a great team, right? He became the centerpiece. You put him at quarterback and, and have him run the wildcat in short yardage situations. You throw the ball to him just about every passing play. At least he's your first read. And and it, it turns into him being in the Heisman race halfway through a season. And then he gets hurt and they go 0-7 the rest of the way. You know, there's there's paths to being successful um, that, that don't mean going somewhere else you know there's other ways to do it you look at Alabama and it's just like okay well you're not going to play probably as a freshman or sophomore um, but as a junior you're going to be a thousand yard receiver and on your way assuming you crack the lineup and I guess you'll play kind of you'll, you'll be the fourth receiver as a sophomore and then get through there but you see it play out like that for Henry Ruggs and Devontae Smith and Jerry Judy and I mean, it's they're going on three or four years of this. Jamison Williams now, even with the injury, is going to probably be a first-round draft pick. Like that's just the way that program works. Now, if you don't crack the rotation, you're in trouble. And you look at Brendan Rice at USC, and it's like, okay, yeah, this makes a lot of sense for some reasons, but also, you better find your way onto the field. And now you don't necessarily need to be a starter this year, but you've got to find a way to be a starter the year after if you want to be be going to the NFL. And it makes you think. What would a season here with Phil McGagan in a working offense do for Brendan? And, I mean, I don't want to bash somebody for the decision they make, but, you know, I made it pretty clear what I 
think about his decision and, and how that impacts his future. And I get not wanting to bet on this offense, but I we don't you get the point. You get the point. Um great stuff from Phil McGagan. Great stuff from all these guys, honestly. Uh we'll we'll be talking about these defensive coaches tomorrow. Uh I'm excited about that as well. And uh, honestly, if we're putting this podcast up tomorrow, I better start cutting this audio up right now. Uh, So uh, I'm going to get out of here and pray for my electricity, please.